So we're going to look at the ram at the goat here in a wee bit more uh, detail now. And just a wee reminder, the book of Daniel saying it's been a, a number of weeks since we were looking at this fascinating book. It is a, a very colorful book with very vivid stories in the first part, but the second part is equally really these vivid pictures that are then uh, presented. Just a wee reminder, chapter 1, Daniel and his friends refuse to take the unclean food and are blessed by God. Chapter 2 is King Nebuchadnezzar's dream of, of a statue of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay, speaking about four different kingdoms. Chapter 3 was the, the golden image which the people had to worship, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do it, worship God alone, and were cast into the fiery furnace, but spurred by God. Chapter 4, we have the great king Nebuchadnezzar being humbled and living like a wild animal for a number of years before he comes, acknowledges it through God. Chapter 5, we have Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. Chapter 6, we have King Darius and then Daniel being put in the lion's den. Remember, he passed a rule nobody was to pray except to him. And then last time we were in chapter 7 and the vision of these four beasts speaking about four kingdoms that would come. Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon and during the first and the third years of his reign. So early on, Daniel was given these visions about the future in chapter 7 and 8. And remember, these are visions to a people who are suffering, a people who were carried away in exile, who were held captive, whose future was very uncertain. And the purpose of these visions is to encourage God's people in difficult days that God has not forgotten them. So let's look, first of all, at the, the main characters, and then we're going to look at some of the lessons we can learn from this. So, first of all, the main characters, we have the ram, which represents the kingdoms of Media and Persia. They would take over from the Babylonians, the take over from Belshazzar. After the writing on the wall, this was now the handing over of the kingdom. This ram appears to be unstoppable. And you see, we have a, a map showing the Persian kingdom, which stretched over so much of the world at that time. So that was the ram with the two horns, the kingdoms of the Medes and Persia. And there. The center of their rule would have been what today is the country of Iran. And still many uh, Iranians call their country Persia and their language Persian. And then we have the goat with the big horn who represents Greece, and particularly the big horn represents Alexander the Great. He comes from the west, Greece is to the west, and the kingdom of Greece would then take over from the Persians. Alexander, he became king at the age of just 20, and by the age of 30, he had conquered the known world, including all of the kingdom of Persia. And we see a map again showing where he ruled, and he took over the Persian kingdom and even went a wee bit further beyond that. At the age of just 32, Alexander died from fever. And this is spoken of in the vision with the breaking of the large horn. And the large horn was replaced by four smaller horns, 
which represents how the kingdom of Greece would be divided after Alexander's death, and each region would indeed have a different general who would take over and rule there. And that's it. And uh, just flick that on, I'm a cedar. And take note of the Orange Empire, known as the Seleucid or the Syrian Empire. That's where our next character would come from, uh, that orange part. Then we come to the little horn who is Antiochus, this little horn that would come up from the four horns. Uh, there's, little, there's a lot of focus in him. Generally, it is understood to be Antiochus IV. Uh, he took the name Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus the Illustrious, although the Jews nicknamed him Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the Madman. Shows you what they thought of him. He became very powerful. He attacked Jerusalem, committing terrible, terrible atrocities. Jerusalem and Israel is described as a beautiful land here in this chapter. It is believed that he killed 40,000 Jews within just three days. He sacrificed a pig in the temple. He later made human sacrifices there. He erected a statue to Zeus, and he stopped the normal sacrifices in the temple for three years, equal to the 2,300 days mentioned in verse 14 about what would happen. So let's just recap on these main characters. So we have the ram, which represents the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. We have the goat, which represents Greece and Alexander. And then we have the little horn, which is this very evil character, Antiochus. Now, let's think about the lessons, what we have. We can't, we're not going into every detail of this chapter, but just think of the lessons we can learn from this chapter. And the first lesson is this. You can trust the Bible. This prophecy made approximately in the year 548 B.C., the third year of King Belshazzar, so it can be dated fairly accurately. It is amazing the great detail that it gives about events which were going to happen years in the future. The rule of the Medes and the Persians, the Ram, would begin nine years later. So, nine years before they took over, okay, Daniel has this prophecy about it. Now, you may think, okay, somebody maybe could predict, predict something in nine years ahead. But the rise of the Greek kingdom and Alexander would happen 212 years later. To be able to prophesy about this uh, uh, goat with its big horn representing Alexander, their greatest leader, and then divided into four horns representing four kingdoms, that was made two centuries before it happened. Now, some people, when they read this, they say, oh, the book of Daniel, it, it must have been written much later. It must be written actually about 100 years before Jesus was born, written about 400 years after it was actually written. But it wasn't. It was written. This vision came in the third year of Belshazzar, the last Babylonian king. And then the rule of Antiochus 
And what would he would do, it would begin 373 years later from when this prophecy was made. So, Daniel, there he is, 548 B.C., is told things that will happen centuries ahead. How was he told this? He was told this by the God who holds all of history in his hand. And this brings home to us just how reliable God's Word is. God's Word is doubted, it is scorned at, but again and again it proves itself to be true. We think of how the Old Testament was proved to be so reliable about the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah, about the place where He would be born, about the circumstances of His death, even the details of them gambling for His clothes and so forth, and then the details about His resurrection. This is a word we can trust. And if the Bible can be trusted with these truths, it can be trusted in what it teaches about Jesus, about salvation, about His return, about judgment, about heaven, about hell, about living the Christian life. We need to trust the Bible more and more. We need to be absolutely convinced that every word is perfect and treat it as the absolute treasure that it is. I was just hearing a story yesterday because of the Soviet Union ruling over Ukraine, they basically tried to destroy the Ukrainian language, and they tried to destroy Christianity in the country. So, putting those two things together, it was very, very hard to get a, a Bible in the Ukrainian language. And there was a man who was in one of the cities, I'm not sure it was Kiev or somewhere else, but he came across a man who was selling a Ukrainian Bible. He had no money to buy it. What did he do? He swapped his shoes for the Bible. There he was walking home barefoot, but in his arms was the Word of God. And through that Bible, he and all of his family came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to treasure this book. So reliable. How amazing it is. The second lesson we need to learn here is that God rules over the whole world. God knows what is happening. He can predict what is happening here because He is the sovereign who rules over everything. I can never quote those words of Daniel 4 too much. Nebuchadnezzar, after he was humiliated and then restored, it says this in Daniel 4, 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is a great God who a, a mighty and powerful king like Nebuchadnezzar, he can humble and bring down so lowly. Particularly when evil 
and trials surround us, we need to hold on to this wonderful truth. God is in total control. Nothing is outside of His control. He never loses control. Was not what the friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego discovered in the fiery furnace? God was in control. Is not what Daniel discovered in the lion's den? God was in control. You think of their defiance when they were threatened to, to compromise, and they refused to do it. Our God can deliver us, said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even if He doesn't, we will not bow to you. Such confidence in God. Have you this confidence? If you are struggling with this confidence, you need to just get to know this Lord more and more. Psalm 27 is that lovely psalm where David says, even if an army encamp against me, I shall not fear. How did David have such faith? He goes on and says in that psalm about his great desire is to dwell within the house of the Lord and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It was his knowledge of God that gave him confidence even in the face of an army against him. You can trust the Bible. God rules over the world. And the third thing just to mention here is how God views things differently from how the world sees things. Alexander the Great was one of the, the greatest leader, leaders in world history, and I'm sure there's nobody here who hadn't heard about Alexander the Great. But in this chapter, very few verses actually relate to him. Whereas Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, a little-known leader today by the world, many more verses focus on him, verses 9 to 14, and then 23 to 26. So, why does Alexander get such little time, and so much more focus is on this character, Antiochus? Well, the reason is that it's how they relate to the people of God. What is most important is how kings and kingdoms impact the lives of God's people. And in Ephesians 1, we're told how Christ rules over the world. He has been given that place far above all rule and dominion for the sake of the church. And so, the church is seen by the world today as irrelevant, at best on the periphery. The church, the people of God, are at the very heart of God's thinking and God's plans as He looks at this world. Now, that is a, a wonderful encouragement. It's important that we understand this world today, that we have a, a mindset as we look at this world. We do so through the lens of the Bible, through the way God looks at the world, rather than through the lens of the media. So, I really would encourage you, if you are covering, and I'll come back to this at the end, but if you're watching the news about Ukraine, and it's good to do that and keep up to date, read the stories you get from the likes of EMF, 
on their website, on their YouTube uh, channel. Read the stories. Get the dimension from God's people about what is happening as well. It's important that we understand what's important to God. This is so important for our prayer lives. We want to pray according to the will of God. And if we're going to pray according to God's will, we need to realize that which is most important to God. And that what is most important to God is the spiritual over the material and the physical. Now, it doesn't mean we don't be concerned about the material. We are to pray for our daily bread. We're to pray for our brothers and sisters and people in need to have their daily bread, the people to have their physical needs met. We are to pray. We are to support that and, and to give so that is done. But what is even more important is that people have their spiritual food. So they don't just have their daily bread. They have the bread of life. Because we can give money to feed people. We can give money to nourish people. That needs to be done, yes. But no matter how well we feed people, no matter how much medical care is given to people, they are still going to die. And that is why they need Christ. They need the one who can give them hope for eternity. And so we need to look at this world. We need to look at it through the eyes of God. And maybe, you know, in situations of trouble, whether it be a, a problem in your family or whether it be a problem in your workplace or whether it be the problems in the world, we should be asking, what does God want to do in this? What's important to God in this? And we should pray about that and, and pray for God's will to be done in these situations. Take if someone's very sick, we can pray for them to be made better. What's God's priority? Well, if they're a Christian, God's priority is, yes, they'll be made better, but through what they're going through, they'll come closer and closer in their walk with Christ. Or if they're not a Christian, that they'll be drawn to Christ even through what they're going through. So God views things differently. He sees things particularly in how they relate to the kingdom, to the building of the church. And the final thing just to see from this is the seriousness of God's Word. Receiving this vision was no easy matter for Daniel here. He was frightened. Look there at verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. He's overcome. He's sick. He's even appalled. Look there at verse 27, what it says at the end of the chapter. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, if you know the story of Daniel, he's no layabout. He's no lazy person. He was overcome and lay sick for some days because of this vision, because of what the Lord was sharing with him. 
God's Word deals with weighty matters, with matters of life, death, sin, and judgment. The Bible is not to be viewed from a distance, but to be understood to tell our story. The Bible wants us to be personally involved in this world and what God is doing in this world. And part of that means being willing to be where things are tough and not closing our minds and our eyes to situations of need. Take the, even the wee example of watching the news, uh, whether it be in the early days of COVID, and I'm sure you found if you watched a lot of the news, uh, it really could depress you and be like a, a weight, a cloud hanging over you. And it's the same when you watch the news about Ukraine. Uh, and it's not good to watch the news all the time because it really would drag us down so far. But it's also wrong just to shut ourselves off from something just because it's uncomfortable. Life in this world is serious business. It's not a playground. And you know, Jesus in Isaiah is described as a man of sorrows. Part of being a man of sorrows, it wasn't just the mockery and the, the suffering of the cross. Being a man of sorrows was he entered into the pain of others. He was very, very serious about what he was involved in. Now, it doesn't mean we, we put on some sort of mock, grumpy attitude. I'm a serious person. But in the right times, we are serious when we have to be. I remember years ago, some of you will know the late the Reverend Noel Agnew. I remember years ago as a young person being at the, the Youth Reach Festival uh, and the speaker was speaking one night on very serious matters. Uh, and when he finished, a big Noel came up and to make some announcements and a group of young people started to chant, Noel, Noel, or Big Noel, Big Noel or something. And uh, Noel just went ballistic, <laughs> uh, as Noel could at times. And he just says, you know, fellas, young people, this is serious. It's not a time to be mucking about. Yes, we have times where we need our relaxation. There's times we need a release. But there's a difference from having our times of relaxation and release from just living a life of escapism. I think this is where we have to be careful with television or even reading books and magazines or even following sport these can just be escapism. Now, there are times you need that. There's times you need to escape to have a bit of uh, relaxation. But it's wrong if we are not taking seriously the challenges of this world, the challenges to the church, the challenges of the gospel. We need, is it the word gravitas? We need to be people who are serious 
about the things which need to be serious about. Now again, it doesn't mean we go around with a big long face. We think of Jesus, and Jesus was delightful company to be in. He wasn't someone who was miserable. He was filled with joy and gladness and happiness. But he was serious about the things he needed to be serious about. And so, we see that here. Daniel, this was tough for him. Uh, and if those of you who have preached, you know, uh, you see, if a, you preach a message on judgment, on hell, it absolutely wrecks you. It really does. But you can't avoid that. You have to be serious about the things we need to be serious about. So, the four lessons, you can trust the Bible. God rules over the world. God views things differently from the world and the seriousness of God's Word, seriousness of living for Christ in this world. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You for Your Word, and Lord, praise You that You're the one who's in control. We think of Alexander and how his great horn was broken, ultimately, O oh God, by you. We think of Antiochus and speaks of how he was brought down. That little horn was broken again by you. Rulers rise, and Lord, in your time, you bring them down when they have served their purpose. And Father, what you've done for Alexander, what you did for Antiochus, you will do for the likes of Putin. He will have his day, but then he'll be brought down. Now, Father, we want that. We would long that that would happen tonight. That would be our desire. Uh, and some senses, Father, we just have asked you, and we wonder why you don't bring him down. But Lord, you know better than us. Uh, your wisdom has no end, and we trust you, Father. You know what you're doing. But, Father, we just pray in your time you will bring down this man. And in your time, Father, you will end this war in Ukraine. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of such wisdom. You're the God who's in control. Just help us, O Lord, to be the people that you call us to be. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be people of joy and hope, but people who are serious about the things we need to be serious about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.